Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock the potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have a very, very fascinating guest. Uh, I've been very honored to see this person live on stage. And man, he brought everybody up to their feet. Very, very inspira inspirational, very, very powerful, driven, resilient. In fact, if you think of the words driven and resilient, this is the guy we have to connect to because his story is absolutely amazing. A story that none of us could ever think of and it's beyond our imagination. So I'm very, very excited to have him here. Now, he's helped countless people all around the world overcome challenges and turn their goals into reality. But not just individuals, small business owners, or entrepreneurs. He's also helped some of the biggest named companies out there from ConocoPhillips to Intel, Bechtel, and also Bank of America, just to name a few. Now, he's also an, an author of the book, Unlimited Possibilities. He's a world-renowned business coach, speaker, and entrepreneur. So please welcome CEO of Wealth Fitness International Group, Mr. C.K. Charles. Hey, Fong, how are you? I am absolutely amazing. I feel great, and I'm I'm better now. I have you here. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited, and uh, good to see you, man. Well, I'm very, very excited to, to have you here. I'm very excited to hear your stories because I know uh, for sure there's two or three stories that I'm very excited to hear about because, uh, man, you're, you're an amazing storyteller on stage and your story is absolutely amazing. So let's not, let's not skip to uh, the other questions. Let's go right into your story. How did you begin? How did you become the CK Charles that's been revolutionizing business entrepreneurs and business owners? Absolutely. So in 2006 and seven, I was working for Shell Lubricants. That's the oil and gas company uh, in the United States. And I remember, uh, you know, I just come from Africa. I, you know, I was born and raised in Kenya. We grew off of less than a dollar a day for a family of five. Talk about struggle. That was the real struggle. And so years later, I find myself in the United States after having lived in Finland briefly and Australia and migrated to the United States. So I get my job in uh, Shell and, uh, you know, $14 an hour, I'll never forget. And I thought this was it. And uh, one day um, I'm training a lady that had been there for 30 years. And Fong, she tells me that she's been working for Shell for 30 years and I'm training the lady to take my job. And that just kind of, you know, bothered me a little bit. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? At the time, Shell was trying to outsource most of the accounting department to the Philippines, but they were going to leave some, you know, uh, some veterans there, you know, people that have been there for a long time. And that's why I was training this lady. So I decided out of curiosity at this time, $14 and I think I'm making it in life. And I said, hey, uh, Miss Crystal, I have a question for you. How has the company been to you? 30 years, you're very loyal. She goes like, man, it's been amazing. I have $100,000 in my phone. I say, what? wait, what? $100,000? Now, here's the interesting part. I'd never seen $100,000 in my life, but I knew that wasn't a lot of money because I'm thinking 30 years later, 100K. So I fast forwarded my life 30 years and I'm like, holy cow, this is where I'm going to be with 100K? Literally. Two days later, I quit my job. That's wow. how I started. I was just like, this is not me. Now, here's a funny thing. So 
I quit my job, no notice, no nothing. So of course I wasn't going to get my last paycheck because they are very, very strict. They say, if you don't give a two weeks notice, you don't get your last paycheck. I had my car note come in. So my car had to be reported that week and I'm stuck in my apartment. I don't have a job. I had another security job that I got fired two days later because they found me sleeping. So literally in one week, I lost two jobs. I quit from one. I got fired from the other. And my security job was more like a part-time thing. They found me sleeping on a Thursday and they go like, you're fired. So now on the weekend, I'm seated at my house and I'm thinking, my, my, my apartment, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I remember that the only money that I had was only $50. And I go there, I, I saw some guys that put some road signs on the road, talk about small beginnings, and they had put their signs saying that 50 signs for $50. I'm like, what can I do with 50 signs? And I used to make websites, really bad ones, but I didn't think that then. And I went and I put a sign, I, I, I hired this company, they put signs there, um, you know, professional websites, 40% off, I didn't name the price, I just said 40% off, call this number. And I literally went on the streets midnight and I plugged those signs on the streets and I waited, sat in my bedroom. I started getting phone calls. Hey, I saw a sign you guys do 40% off. Uh, where are your offices located? And found, I kid you not, this was me. I would literally answer the phone like this was a big corporation. I'm like, uh, thank you for calling CK. My name is CK. Thank you for calling CK Web Designers. And uh, how can I help you? They're like, yeah, I saw a sign, 40% off. Uh, where are you guys located? I'm like, well, the beauty about our company, you don't come to us. We come to you. Because I had no office. I'm seated in my bedroom. And people love the professional aspect of it. And this is what I always tell people. Even in humble days, when you're starting your business, you got to build it right. I would tell people, one man show, uh, they'll be like, let me see if there's any representative available to help you. And I'd put my radio on the phone, play the music and come back. And I'm like, all the representatives are busy, uh, <laughs> but I'll be more than glad to help you. And I realized that, you know, I, I met a couple of clients because they were like, oh, I don't have to come to you guys. All right, here's where we can meet. And we met at a McDonald's. My first check was for $600 for a website. My second check was at a McDonald's again for $2,500. And I was like, I'm on to something. Like literally, I'm building websites for total strangers who saw my sign. And I'm like, I need to build this right. So that was my first business venture, which then led to me saying, wait a minute, people would come to me, a couple of friends that I knew, and they would tell me, hey, can you help me with my taxes? And I'm like, well, you know, it's not my thing, but I can help you. And the more people kept asking me, literally one year from starting my website company, somebody asked me, why why can't you just like put a couple of flyers together and just tell people, all these friends that keep asking you. And so I put a couple of flash together, didn't know a lot about taxes, but I had someone who was mentoring me 
on it. And this is again another thing that I always tell startups, get someone from day one to mentor you. Don't think about money and resources. I didn't have money at the time, but I told a guy, look, I'm going to pay you a little bit of money if you can just mentor me. I just need to know how to file these taxes. I'll pay you for your time. Every time I call you, I'll pay you 20 bucks uh, for you to answer my questions. And so I would put my questions together, do a phone call, give the guy like 20 or 30 bucks sometimes, and he started mentoring me. And that's how I started my tax business, which then I ended up franchising three years later, grew to eight different states uh, by the time it was five years. And now I became nationwide and the coaching and consulting business was birthed from that fund. Wow. <laughs> I mean, for somebody who has no formal education in accounting or taxes yeah. to being a person who actually franchises a company of doing so that is yeah. absolutely amazing and also you you didn't have formal training in creating websites either no no, so no, no. literally <laughs> you just went out there and go hey i'm open for business come to me now <laughs> that that's what i did and and how i learned how to build websites by the way when i was doing my security job at night it was so boring so I literally hanged out with my laptop in my car because my post was an outdoor post. So I would make sure that my laptop is charged up all day. And so when I'm in the car, I used to get bored watching videos and movies. And I'm like, you know what? I want to learn how to make a website because I wanted to make a personal website for me, like just who I am and stuff like that. And I was like, that's what 50 bucks can do. So talk about starting small. I started my business with $50 and a cell phone. And I hear a lot of times entrepreneurs going like, man, I just don't have the capital. I don't have the money. I can't do it. And sometimes I'm like, what do you have in your hands that you can use right now? Maybe you have your time. Maybe you have a cell phone. Maybe you have a laptop. Go out there and become, here's one thing I tell people, you got to become resourceful. Okay, because if you're not resourceful, the, 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 the universe will not align resources for you until you become resourceful. Mm. No, yeah. uh, you kind of started right when you're already in the States. Yeah. So what was what was CK like at the age of 12? Was he like, you know what? I have aspirations to becoming this big CEO and all these businesses like and then the people kind of go, come on, you're kidding yourself. There's no way you're going to be that. <laughs> well, interesting thing. So uh, growing up, like I like I mentioned earlier, we were so poor. And so what happened was uh, I kept seeing opportunities. And I remember uh, I, I used to get in a lot of trouble because of that. So we lived in a very, very small house and right at the backyard, which is not even a backyard. I'm talking about like maybe a 10 foot by 10 foot backyard. Uh, my mom had planted like some spinach and some tomatoes because we couldn't afford to buy tomatoes every day. So one day I go at the backyard and I see that all these tomatoes are ripe. Literally, I pluck them, I go outside the gate and I start selling them. My mom comes and she's like, what is wrong with you? This is for consumption. Here's the interesting thing. I didn't know the price. I did not know what it goes for in the market, nothing. I just knew we needed some money because I was tired of hearing my mom constantly say, we need money, we need money, we need money. So I gave her that. Now. Later on, I, you know, I'm like uh, equivalent to US, maybe like uh, sixth grade, seventh grade. My mom's giving me money to eat at school because I can't come back home for lunch. Instead of eating at school, I started saving my money and I saved it for three years without telling anybody nothing. And then I bought one of those old cameras. 
Uh-huh. And I started taking photos at students at school and they would pay me for me to go and take the film and develop it for them. So I started making money at that early age. My dad thought I was dealing with drugs. He's like, where are you getting the money from? And they did not know it was my lunch money. So they would give me like, like you know, like uh, 30 shillings for lunch. I would eat five, literally eat French fries every single day and save 25 until I bought a little camera. And so at 12, I was I was being an entrepreneur. I just didn't realize that's what it is. I was just tired of frustration. And here's another thing for when you are tired of the frustrations in your life, you will do whatever it takes. Because I didn't realize I was so tired of poverty. And that's why I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. It wasn't about getting a formal education at that point. It was just like, I need to do whatever it takes to become resourceful. That is that is absolutely amazing for somebody so young to start thinking that way without without seeing how other people are doing it. You're just doing it on your own. Now, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of other kids out there who are sitting there beside you. It's like, what is CK doing? Absolutely. Like, why not eat the burger? Why not get more food? Why are you just eating fries? I mean, like, did, did anybody question that? Did, did you tell them what you were doing? Did anybody else join along with you? Uh, interesting enough, I didn't share what I was doing, uh, but I had a lot of people that were constantly, I'll give you an example, you know, later, a couple of years later, I moved on to high school, but I went to a boarding school. And on that boarding school, um, you know, there was no canteen at school and stuff like that. When you reported to school at the beginning of the semester, whatever you had, that's all you had to leave off. Uh, once a month or twice a month, they would have someone who'd come and sell bread. But what I used to do, when we report for the semester, I'd buy boxes of cookies. These big boxes, they have about 300 cookies inside. And so what I would do, instead of students just depending, because, again, the high school didn't sell any cookies. There was no canteen or anything. Uh, you either had bread with tea or tea by itself. So for me, I'm like, you come to my cubicle, I got cookies. And so I was selling cookies, which got me again in a lot of trouble. But to answer your question, people will always question what they don't understand. And it's not your job to explain to them. You just need to be committed to your goals in life. And that's all I knew. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be poor. I'm going to do whatever it takes to survive. And so that's what I would get the money from the cookies. And when the two or three times the bread would come to school, I would use that money to buy bread. So I never lacked because I was being resourceful. So yeah, people always question me. <laughs> I mean, like you would think the school goes, hey, maybe he's on to something. Maybe we should start stocking up some cookies and start selling that instead of having CK do it. No, no, <laughs> that's not you, what I was thinking. <laughs> you've mentioned a few times that you've gotten into trouble. Yeah. And after all those things that's happened to you that you go, wow, I've gotten in trouble here. I got in trouble there. Have you ever regretted those or have you gone, you know what, that made me stronger, that made me better, I can learn from it, I, I, I would do it all over again? Now, here's the thing, Pong. we have a two million year old brain, right? It's a two million year old brain. It's designed for survival, right? And so what happens most of the time, because your brain is designed for survival, we're constantly looking for always something that's wrong. And so in my life, 
I couldn't help it but constantly look back, what's wrong with me? Why am I getting in trouble? Until I realized that fear was the main cause of why I was having all these regrets because regrets started becoming really uh, recently, just in 2019, and probably we're going to share this later in the story, is I got in a really, really big trouble that had nothing to do with me. But here's one thing that I've discovered. The journey is more important than the destination. Now that I'm more mature in life, I understand that I needed to get in trouble to become the person that I am today because I'm the type of person that I'll knock doors in companies, in Bank of America and things like that and say, look, I got something I can offer you guys. And I'm not worried if they're going to tell me no, because I'm so used to getting in trouble uh, growing up that I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. Now I understand the journey is more important than actually the destination. So that has made me the person that I am. Has it been a lot easier for you to convince clients or to inspire or to motivate clients when they go, you know what? I can't do this. I don't have this. I, I don't know this. And then you go, hey, listen to this story. And then you Absolutely. give your story and then it kind of makes them go, you know what? I'm speechless. <laughs> Here is the problem with the consulting world and the coaching world. A lot of people are teaching book knowledge, but they have no experience. And uh, that's really the difference maker because your story is your story, Fong, no matter what. You can't steal my story from me. This is my experiences. So when I teach, I'm not only teaching book knowledge, but I'm also teaching experience. And experience is what makes people who they are. It's not what you read in the books. And so absolutely to answer your question, yes. Many times after people hear my story, people that are saying, look, I can't make it. Look, I've lived in three different continents. I went to Finland not knowing any single person. I became homeless there, migrated to Australia, succeeded a little bit, then became homeless, lost everything, came to the United States. I mean, what's your story? And people will tell you, you know, I've been applying for money at the banks and they've told me no. I'm like, yeah, how many times did you go to the banks and they told you no twice? I'm like, how about you try a hundred times? Do you know how many times I used to be rejected when I started franchising my company? I'm like, hey, we have a nice business model. No, it took sometimes over 120 uh, requests for considerations. These are people I'm talking to, I'm meeting, I'm flying and I'm seeing just to get one yes. And then you get an average person who's like, you know, I've done everything I can. I'm like, really? What's everything you can? How many times have you tried? How many people have you called? I was just talking to someone this week. It's like, life's difficult. Uh, can you help me some money? I say, uh, how many resumes have you submitted the last one week? None. I said, you don't need money. That's not what you need, <laughs> right? So You need a mind shift. <laughs> yeah, you need a mind shift. <laughs> uh, for yourself, you've worked with some of the biggest companies out there. I mentioned a few at the beginning there. Uh, when you're working with individuals, it's a lot of mindset stuff. When you're yes. working with big companies, what do you find is the most common reason why companies are not where they're at or why they come to you? Culture. Culture, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when it's individuals, like you said, it's more mindset. When you're dealing with companies, it's more like culture. 
culture will eat your strategies for lunch. It, it, it doesn't matter. You guys can have the biggest plans and the biggest strategies and biggest systems and technology and stuff like that, but the culture can mess it all up. And I find people are coming to me mostly because they're like, we don't know where the problem is. And I go in there and I'm like, it's the culture. There is different culture at top management. There is different culture in mid management. There's different culture at the, at the bottom there. And if it's not all integrated, then there's so much conflict in organizations uh, and, and at the end of the day, they're not able to, to get the results. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every company has a culture either by design or by default. It doesn't matter. Even if you never sit down and plan the culture of your company, there is one in default. And people will follow that culture and that culture will determine the results that you get in your company. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very, very common for employees at companies go to say, well, it's been like this for years and years and years and decades. Why would, how can we expect anything to change? Yeah. And then other people also say that, well, who, who listens to the, the smaller group of people or the people at the bottom of the chain? It's only the people at the top who makes all the decisions anyways. And they might say they listen to you or they might say, hey, fill out the suggestion box. And therefore they stop giving the suggestions. They start losing hope. And that yeah. kind of integrates into the culture. Yeah. So how would you go into a company that's been existing for many, many years to change that culture? What's the first thing that you do? And then how do you get the higher ups to follow suit? Well, so here's the thing. Sometimes actually I go the opposite. I start from the top, going all the way down. And I, the reason I say that is because, you know, even a snake, if you if, if you want to kill a snake, you start with the head. If you cut the tail, that snake might still bite you. So actually, I, I tend to use uh, the top bottom approach most of the time. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get them to understand. It's very, very different. One of the things that we try to do as an organization is implement change management tactics in any company because the hardest people to change by the way are those guys at the top they're like this made us money why are we changing it and i'm like well now we're not making money we need to change it no it's just the people at the bottom they're very good at shifting the blame right so that's usually the first thing that we want to do is we start implementing some change management processes and teaching people how to adapt to new change the world right now is crazy it's moving very very fast most of the things are being done online cultures have been disintegrated. Uh, many company cultures are taking a whole different life because now I don't have to show up to work. I can work remotely. So am I still part of the company culture? So we are also trying to adapt with all these things because before it was more, and, and again, pe people always think culture has a lot to do with how we dress and how I talk to the upper management and things like that. But it's it's more than that. It's It has a lot to do with attitudes, the attitude of the mind, understanding the company goals and visions. So uh, usually we, we start with change management. The next most important thing is realigning everyone to a common vision. You will be surprised. Even high corporate America companies, you go to bottom management and say, what, what's the vision of the company? What's what's the purpose? What what, what are the values? What, what are you guys striving for? And people just say, I don't know. I'm just here to make money. I don't know what they're after. And, and there's a they and we uh, type of language in a lot of these companies. So we have to realign everybody to a central core vision. And that that's where you can start seeing the change. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, you've worked with some of the most 
influential people in the world as well, not just the companies and the CEOs and the, uh, the upper management of those people, but you're also involved with community. Uh, yes. You're involved with head of states and diplomats yes. and you work with all those people. Yes. Have you found a common kind of personality or a common type of leadership skills that these people have because you've dealt with so many of them, even if they have different backgrounds? Yes, absolutely. Here's the one thing that I'll tell you for a fact. Uh, talk about, for example, head of states and things like that. They are so driven is unbelievable. And I think if there's one thing, sometimes I think I'm going to add value and I end up being the one like, man, these guys are really adding value to me. They are so driven. I mean, I'm, I've talked to head of states that for months and months, they've put in about only four hours of sleep. Now, not saying I necessarily agree with some of their policies, neither am I saying that you should not take care of your health and, and sleep eight hours or seven hours, which are healthy habits. But when they're in a season of something that they really, really want, okay, maybe it's a policy they're trying to pass. Maybe they're trying to rally and get so many allies, you know, so they go in these life cycles and these seasons, they're really go-getters. And um, another thing is, <laughs> this is interesting. They can be the nicest person provided you are in alignment with what they're doing, but they can be really brutal. And I'm talking about really, really, if you don't understand their heartbeat, that they care for you, you can really be pissed off like, hey, this guy is being a jerk. You know, why is he being an a-hole like that uh, with me? But it's because their purpose, their vision comes first Everything else is second. And so if you're standing in between that, you're pretty much like an enemy. So very, very aggressive in leadership approach. And uh, which is interesting because I think sometimes in business, you need to learn how to, 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 to work with your people, but the core of who you are should always take precedence. Mm -hmm. Don't change the vision to accommodate the people or the purpose of the organization to accommodate the people. The people should change to be able to follow the vision. Mm -hmm. Now, you yeah. mentioned before that you may or may not agree with some of those policies, may or may not agree with some of their visions, but you still don't want to be that enemy of that person. Yes. Right? So how do you stay true to yourself, stay true to your vision, yet still navigate through those waters where it conflicts with what they're saying or conflicts with what they want? How do you still maintain that relationship to move forward? So that's a million dollar question. And by the way, someone asked me that, uh, someone high ranking in a particular country. Uh, and the thing is this, you have to have your minimum uncompromisable values, right? Like, hey, if you're gonna violate this, then I'm willing to depart from what you are all about, right? So for example, if someone says, hey, we need to kill this person. <laughs> That's politics. Those things happen. Uh, I don't know about in the US, but I know in Africa they happen. We need to kill this person because they're being an obstacle. And you ought to be very comfortable in learning to walk away because now they're getting to a place where they're going to make you compromise on your minimum set of values. Right. And so you need to get to a point that if it's this, I'm willing to walk away. But if it has to do with things that we don't know the outcome, maybe it's a health bill policy. You know, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. I think it needs to be implemented. This you think, you know what? I don't want to be an enemy. I'm going to support you. But here is my stance. And I need you to know very clear. This is where I stand. And if you do that, you end up gaining trust 
because you speak up and you challenge these personalities because most of these nations are built around personalities. Mm-hmm. Now, that's when you're dealing with personalities of high high people, high-ranking yes. uh, officers and individuals. If we take it down to a social media standpoint, right? Um, <laughs> how, how do you navigate through those? Because you want you may or may not want to be supportive of one issue or another issue. And yeah. so on social media, it's so easy for people to just have a backlash, jump onto people, cancel people and whatnot. So how do you determine, hmm, should I say something here or not say something here? Do I agree or disagree? How would you play with that? So my, 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 the first thing I always ask people is, what's your brand? What do you stand for? Like, you should stand for what you stand, right? Now, you gotta, there's, there's a thin line. Like, I can, I, I, I wanna be very careful because business is not politics. So if I'm a business personality, I wanna be very careful how I deal with politics. Like, for example, just not so long ago, I advocated and I told people, hey, make sure you go out there and vote. I did not say who I was going to vote for, but I'm just saying, like, as a responsible citizen, you ought to go out there and vote. But people say, no, you need to tell us where you stand. I said, that's irrelevant. My personality, as a business personality, I'll say what I stand for. If it's uh, things to do with uh, abortion, as an example, I'll say what I stand for. Right. And so if it happens to be the right or the left that stands for that thing, well, good, then we match in terms of we agree on that particular item. But I think sometimes we allow politics to detour us. And now you want to impress people. So when I'm with a Republican, I I share my Republican beliefs when I'm a Democrat. No. What do you stand for? So there's nothing wrong with saying this is what I stand for. And really, that that's where you gain your respect from, mm. that I may disagree with you, but as for this, this is what I stand for. And at the end of the day, I could be wrong, but at least that's what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Now, listening to you speak here, we, we feel that energy. You're a very giving person. You add a lot of value. And also, you do a lot for the community as well. You have your uh, uh, main chairman of many boards. Uh, yeah. You are you have nonprofit organizations that you support, that you run. Tell us more about that, uh, that involvement. And also, uh, what are the, some of the things that you want to change? All right. Very good. So uh, one of the things is that um, I'm a chairperson of uh, Lone Star College, now a little over 100,000 students. And, you know, um, I'm very passionate about that because I stand in the business advisory board. And what we decided to do is we decided to bring the business community to the school because most of these schools were sending students out there, not even realizing if what they're teaching them is valuable in the real world, in the community. And so uh, I was one of the first few people to introduce and I said, let's go and get the business community to come in. And it was very interesting because that board is comprised of professors and the business community. And I'll never forget our first meeting uh, the business community was like, uh, all these students you guys are sending us, they're good for nothing. Like, we, we're teaching them everything from scratch. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, education needs to be way more hands-on. And uh, one of the things that I'm very passionate about now, talking about what do I want to change, is that I realize most of these community colleges now, they've become um, businesses, right? So, so 
they don't care about the output. They don't care about the results. They just care about, man, how many sign-ons can we have? Because they're making millions and millions of dollars. They have Swifting accounts where they're making so much interest is unbelievable. So they don't care about the quality. Now, I was not fortunate enough to say that I have an MBA from Harvard and all those things. I believe in academia, but I also believe the world is changing. And so the education needs to really, really become different. When you want to talk about money management skills, finances, people need to start being taught how to handle, you know, personal finance, even while they're at school, right? People are being taught how to become doctors and never be taught how to manage the money once they become the doctor. So things like that I'm very passionate about. And uh, the other organization I'm um, part of is uh, called KCM and, you know, they fight uh, domestic abuse and sex abuse and things like that. And I'm big passionate about that because there is a lot of domestic abuse that's happening both on male and female. And uh, so I participate on that. I The reason I participate in this organization's fund is very simple. I, you know, I grew up in a very interesting home dynamic and I've always been passionate I believe so much in education, but I'm also passionate in just making a difference. What's the essence of making all this money if you cannot affect change in the community? And so those are some of the things that I'm participating on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You give so much to the community. You add so much value. You have a great reputation with diplomats, heads of states. You do so much stuff. Uh, you work with big companies, lots of individuals, changing the world, yet something happens. Yes. Something happened a few years ago or yeah, a couple of years ago. And how did I'll let you tell the story as you see fit, because I'm not sure what you can or cannot share. Uh, but having that type of reputation and then having this big thing happen. One, how can that happen with this great reputation? And yeah. then two, what happened afterwards? Was it easy to build that back up? Did you have to build it back up or was it something that you're still working with? All right, absolutely. Now, uh, more than glad to share about the story. Uh, in 2019, I was doing my world tour. So I'd been doing world tours every year. Uh, starting April, I would do at least 30 to 40 countries every year, doing business seminars uh, all over the world, um, Asia, Middle East, Africa, Europe. So in 2019, I'm on a world tour and I've just finished 12 countries. I just finished my European and Middle East tour and we're doing lots of events. Uh, now, the way the events work is we would do probably a couple of large events, small events, large events, small events. So it's in a cycle while we're doing these events. And we usually have them lined up, right? So it's not like I wake up and I'm like tomorrow. It's like we'll plan all the 32 countries from the beginning of the year, everything's booked, paid for, we hit the road, and then we go country after country. So in 2019, I'm doing a tour. I finished 12 countries. My 13th country is in Rwanda. And uh, so I land in Rwanda the night before, you know, usual schedule, get the team together. Hey, what are we doing? I'm traveling with some of my staff members. But Rwanda happened to be a large event. Um, so this was my second time there and we were actually expecting somewhere around 10,000 people, uh, lo and behold, 25,000 people showed up. So now, uh, on the day of the event, long story short is 
I'm waiting to go on stage. I have my MC who's just introduced me. The room is packed. We're going to end up doing two sessions because the venue cannot accommodate 25,000. It can accommodate at least 15, but not 25. And this has happened to me before. So I know the drill. You know, we get the couple of guys, we put some speakers out there. We're like, guys, we're going to do a second session starting at three o'clock. Just go grab some snacks, hang around the compound or whatever we need to do. And um, I'm about to go on stage and the room door, uh, the holding room burst open. And here's about 20 men uh, with guns. And they say that we want to talk to you. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, wait, what's going on? Maybe it's a security thing. They need to evict, uh, take me out of the building, evacuate me or something like that. They say, no, you need to come and talk to us. So they come, they put me in a room. I sit there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. It's been over an hour. And I'm like curious because remember the MC had just introduced me. Yeah. So now they, nobody knows what's going on. Everybody's like, wait, what's going on? The guy's not coming up on stage. So they kept playing my cue music. And I'm still not going on stage. So I'm on this room and I wait. And there's a guy guarding me with an AK-47. And then they tell me, all right, now come. You're ready. You can go and speak to the to to to, to these guys and explain what you're doing here. I go in there. Uh, the Minister of Justice is there. The head of police, the head of the investigation bureau is there. Uh, the Minister of Youth is there. And it's all these officials. And they go like, what are you doing in our country? I say, well, I'm doing I'm, I'm doing a business seminar. They say, well, there's a lot of people gathered and we're a little bit concerned about that. I say, well, the hotel was aware about that. We didn't know that you know, it was going to be 25,000 people uh, showing up. Um, and they say, well, are you a politician? I say, no, I'm not. Well, then they ask me for my passport. I bring my passport. Mind you, there's nothing wrong going on. They just ask me questions. So I literally go to my room. I bring my passport. I show it to them. And they go like, are you a politician? I say, no, I'm not a politician. They say, well, you need to tell us the truth. I said, I am not a politician. So one of the guy flips his computer around and said, then what are you doing with President Bush? So I, I had a photo in my social media and I had President Bush on there. I said, well, I was at an event. We spoke on the same stage and that's why um, I have a photo with him. They say, how about the president of Guyana? What are you doing with him? How about the president of Sierra Leone? Literally, they've taken their time. They've done a research. Now they're just showing me all these photos. And I said, okay, look, I see where this is going. I'm over there smiling. I'm like, I am not a politician. But I've trained for government entities. I've been privileged to be around some of these people. And that's why. Now, I had one photo. Now, talk about branding. I had one photo with the president of Burundi. Now, I got to know the president of Burundi through a mutual friend. And then I went there so many times because of his nonprofit work. So anytime he's launching a new project, I would go there and there was one he was doing for farmers. There's one he was doing for community. They were building houses and hospitals. So there's so many photos and I'm, I'm with him next to him on all these photos. And when they opened that photo up, I did not know that Burundi was the enemies to Rwanda. They believe that the genocide happened because of the people in Burundi and Burundi happens, their genocide happened because of the people in Rwanda. So they've always been enemies since time. When they saw that photo, 
the room erupted. You are the one that's creating political instability in our country. So is he the one that sent you? How much money is he giving you? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. He has not sent me. So nobody wants to believe me. And they believe that he has sent me. So they tell me that you're under arrest. They put me in there. And then they go and interrogate me for 12 hours. Same question. What do you do for him? How much is he paying you? How many times have you been seeing him? And at the end of the day, I'm still like nothing. No, I'm not a politician. And then I disappeared. So they took me into a safe house. So nobody knew where I was at. And so that went on for a couple of days. But now, remember what I said at the beginning of the story. We used to line the countries up. So from there, I was supposed to go to Kenya, and then I was supposed to go to India. So thousands of people show up in Kenya for the event. I'm not there. Thousands show up in India. I'm not there. So a tweet started that I'm dead. So people started tweeting. Then... It somehow got to the Kenyan embassy in Rwanda. I'm originally from Kenya. Then they tipped the U.S. embassy that this, this guy is a dual citizen. Uh, last known destination was Rwanda and nobody know where he's at. So that's how I surfaced after all that stuff. Now, to end the story, and I'm not going to go into so much detail, they tortured me. They did everything they can. They put water on me, put me in trenches, asking me information about what I was doing with this person. When the U.S. Embassy intervened, they said, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let him go to court and explain himself because we are a democratic country. We have a legal system that's independent, which it's not. But they wanted to cover their tracks. So when I went to court, they started the games. And the games ended up being something like this. Every time I'd go to court, uh, this is July 15th, they say, uh, case for CK, uh, we'll listen to it in November. The docket is full. Thank you so much. In November, I go, they push it till February. So I was there for two years waiting to be tried. Two years. That's what happened. So I was in two years in maximum prison security, the worst place. I could not wish my enemies this. Uh, there is a lot of deception going on in that country. And I'm not here to discuss politics. But like I say, I speak the truth with exactly what happened in that nation. Uh, the government owns the media platform. So they decided when the U.S. embassy started giving them pressure, they went on the news and they started putting stories, fake stories that I promised to give people money at the end of the event fung you've been you've been a coach a couple of years you know yeah. how we give people value bonus like hey you can get this for free it's worth 197 dollars but if you stay till the end we're gonna give you all this material for free they said i promised people money and that was fraud and stuff like that so they put me in there wow but here's the thing you asked me when i leave when i left there do you know what's interesting i made a lot of money while i was in prison <laughs> Yes. And for if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, let me tell you, you have to, and I say this before, you need to learn to become resourceful. When I went there, I found the former prime minister has been arrested for a bounce check. He was given three years. We know it's politics. He didn't write a bounce check, but we know he was. We found the minister of finance over there prime minister, I mean, uh, head of uh, infrastructure, all these guys are in there. So I started a mastermind. 
I started adding value. I did a fast free event with free few guys. Literally, I would meet them in their cells when they when they I so I was put on um isolation for about three months and then they brought me out. So when I left the isolation, I, I formed a group of people and we would meet. I gave them value. And then after I gave them value, I started explaining to them about asset protection and all these things. And uh, they had in contact with their families. And so they started talking to their families. Hey, you need to send some money somewhere because I told them where they can send the money because this guy is doing this and this and this for me. And so I did that and I helped those guys. And we are friends till today because I helped them so much made so much money while I was in there is unbelievable. Of course, those guys had the money to pay for it. But what I mean is that I didn't allow that to stop me from being who I am. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That part That part completely shook me. I'm like, you're, you had masterminds in the prison. Yes, I did so many of them. Yeah. Wow. I, I, at some point, my brother tells me because he used to get the phone calls from this guy's family. He said, CK, are you doing drugs in prison? Why are people sending me 8K, 12K? I say, no, no, no. I need you to go open this corporation and put this name and you need to go and talk to this lawyer and you're going to do this and this and this because most of those guys, they needed to, you know, protect their assets and they did not know how to. So I, I wow. educated them. I told them what they needed to do. So for the reason <laughs> that you were put in there, okay, because they like they alleged thinking that you're you're connected with all these people, you're in politics and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Yeah. You're hosting masterminds and you're talking to all these other people. Did they not go, wait a minute, you shouldn't do that? So here's the thing. Nobody knew. Uh, and the reason nobody knew is because I was considered a high-risk high prisoner. And the people I was talking to are considered high-risk as well. So uh, nobody knew. And I know it's going to leak one day. But most of those guys now are out or they're about to finish their terms. But that's what we were doing because they were very, very protective of me. They could not let me just speak to anyone. But that's what we were doing. And we would do it even while we're doing labor stuff. So someone is thinking that we're cleaning restaurants. We're having a mastermind, you know. So that's kind of the strategies we had to use. It's not like we just sat down. would pretend we are eating but actually I'm I'm training them on what they need to do. So much so the day I left that country, I got stopped at the airport right before I entered the plane. They Ooh. told me we need to see your bags. Oh, I went down through security, got out, went to the check-in area. They had to pull out my bags. We opened my bags and they went through all my notebooks that I had. All my notebooks. Wow. Just to see if I had written anything negative about the country. But I used my time very well. When I was there, I, I read about 230 books. Not that they were very, I mean, I read anything I could get my hands on because that was the only way to stay sane. And so I've left, you know, I left there. Luckily, I'd put some systems in place. Uh, talking to entrepreneurs, guys, if you're listening to this, you need to have systems in place. If I did not have systems in place, I'd probably come back and start from ground zero. Wow. As much as I started somewhat from ground zero, I lost a lot of businesses. I lost a couple of things that I had put in place because I wasn't there to manage and monitor. The few systems I had in place allowed me to start from somewhere. And so at least even with the little money I was making while I was in prison, I had it, you know, going on into other things, taking care of a few of my employees that I had that was still waiting for me. And that's what helped me. So I kind of started from zero, but not quite zero. So I started rebuilding from there.
Okay, you talked about how you kept on reading books, you did these masterminds, you had discussions to keep you sane. Mm-hmm. How did you keep yourself like going? Like it, it gets to a point like a day goes by, you're like, okay, a day went by, oh, a week mm-hmm. went by. And then also months and months, a year. Was there a point in time where all of a sudden you're like, oh, I had enough or mm-hmm. I can't see a end of the road here. Like, how did you go go past that? So I'm going to be honest with you. I I had a couple of those moments and they were very stressful. I had moments that I was just feeling like I'm giving up, like I'm losing my mind and things like that. But I had a very interesting revelation in my mind that they arrested me physically, but they did not arrest my mind. So what I started doing, I started practicing a lot on visualization. Actually, soon I'm going to be coming up with a book on that. I literally would take vacations while I'm in prison. I'd close my eyes and I'm like, okay, I'm going to Bahamas today. All right, yeah, I'm at the airport, yeah. So I really mastered the visualization because luckily for me, I had seen some of those places because of traveling around the world. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to Berlin today. And so provided I'm not doing manual labor because we used to go out for manual labor, I would just literally sit down and practice visualization. So, but there are days you're just like, why is all this injustice happening to me now here's something interesting at the end of the day you're gonna survive there because you're using this because it's a whole system mm-hmm. in prison the currency the trading currency is sugar so if you want to start building networks around you you gotta use sugar and give people around you so you get some protection so your things don't disappear and things like that so for me i was just like i'm running a company here and I need to figure out how to do it to survive. So I had a guy that I used to pay sugar to protect me while I'm taking showers because that's where a lot of things go down. So he has kind of, he was a big guy. So he had to stand in the bathroom and stuff wow. like that. I had a guy who used to clean my clothes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a whole economy there. Wow. Yeah. But you have I to mean, use your mind. <laughs> you, you don't need VR. You, you <laughs> no, can just do it. Yeah, <laughs> Um, no, no, yeah. <laughs> the, the last thing I want to touch on with regards to this subject is you caught, you came out. Um, did you have to rebuild your reputation or did people just automatically go, no, he, he was always like this. He was fine. He was good. This is a blip. Or did so, you have to convince people that, no, this is not true? And by the way, I just got out in 2021. Uh, so I believe in the quadrant. There's a quadrant I stand with. And that's why this has really helped me. Uh, 25% of people love you no matter what you do, right? They don't need an explanation. 25% of the people love you, but they're looking for a reason not to like you. And that happened to be that experience. So there's a group of people that liked me, but they were like, yeah, we knew we knew something was wrong with him. 25% of people don't like you, but they're looking for a reason to like you, which has been interesting working on my favor. People going like, oh my God, I want to I wanna know you more because of what you went through. Yeah. Now, I used to hear about you, but now I see your story and I understand. And then 25% of the people will never like you, no matter what you do, Fong, you know this. So uh, I have lost some business. That's truth because of the people that liked me and now they're like now i'm not sure i want to do business with you but i've gained a whole lot more 
because of what happened to me. Because now there are people that value process. There are people that are like, if you could go through that and here you are still pushing, still doing business internationally, you have something to offer me. I want you to be my consultant as an example. I've gained a lot of business through that. We're here because of my story. Yeah, so that's true. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. The time with you has flown by. Uh, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I got a few quick things for you to answer. First thing yes. that comes to mind. Uh, but before we jump to that, if you had a legacy message for everybody to remember CK for, what is that legacy message? Don't give up. Short and sweet. <laughs> that's it that's it uh they still hope you cannot afford to give up i've been at the end of it all every time i've wanted to take my life out of frustration i've seen injustice i've been homeless i've left here i am still going wow don't give up i mean yeah you, you shared so much that people can take bits and parts and learn from and apply. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. Thank you very much for all those great stories, all those tidbits. Um, before we end, like I said, five quick questions. Give me the first thing yeah. that comes to mind. Stranded on the desert island, one food to eat for the rest of your life with no consequence. <laughs> oh, greens. Greens? Yeah. Wow, still healthy. <laughs> um hollywood calls and goes ck your story is amazing we want to do a biopic on you you get to choose who plays you mm -hmm. mm -hmm. russell crow russell crow shows up at your door and goes, <laughs> hey ck i got the part i want to play you i want to get to know you uh boy i'm hungry and then you go no problem russell i'm gonna go to the back there i'm gonna cook you something great what's mm -hmm. that special dish that you can prepare Uh, grilled chicken with uh, a certain type of rice we eat in Kenya. It's called pilau. Awesome. Um, do you have a... Oh, you're traveling on the road, very, very long road trip. And there's one song that's stuck that plays over and over and over again. What's that one song that you don't mind listening to for a long time on repeat? Never would have made it. Marvin's up. Great choice. And finally, what is success like? But before that, number from one to five. Three. One, two, three. So if you were to relate success to water painting, how is mm. success like water painting? Oh, my God. If I was to relate success to water painting, uh, I guess is that it comes and goes. You know, water painting, very easy to wash off. Uh, it comes and goes. But the most important thing is that your imagination in what you can create with water painting is what makes you successful. It's not the fact that the water paint just you painted and it got all washed out. It's the fact that you created something. So you should constantly be creating something, even though it may come and it may go. Nicely done. So that's how success is like water painting. Um, anything that you would like to still share? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you are phenomenal. And I'm so glad to be part of this. I uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, 
coaching and consulting with all these organizations, entrepreneurs, real estate deals and things like that. Fang, you're the guy to go to. And I'm saying this after having spent time just understanding what you're doing. And I'm super impressed. So thank you so much for the value you're adding in people's life. I wish we had more of you while we were trying to build our business. Would have probably been way farther. It's because of people like you that, uh, you know, uh, the world's going to become a better place. So absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Like I said, thank you so much for your time, your stories. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way? Facebook, CK Charles, uh, website, wealthfitnessinternational.com. And you can get to know more about what I'm doing and stuff like that. You can reach out uh, or even Instagram, uh, Wealth Fitness International. Great. Awesome. Uh, for everybody, make sure you connect with CK. Phenomenal guy, as you can tell, great, great inspirational uh, individual, very driven, very resilient, somebody that we should all connect to and learn from and, and work with because this guy is absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. He is CK. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to unlock your peak potential. We'll see you later. Thank you.